0: The church like Christ, our dependence on God. There are so many stories I could bring up in my time as a house parent for children's home. Crystal and I have quite a few. Stories I learned about people's behaviors and about people, both good and bad. I would say God gifted us with that experience. One of the girls in my cottage, Uh, had an altercation with another girl from a different cottage conflict was nothing new it happened all the time Uh, I was asked to go with the girl in my cottage to the other cottage so that uh, they can have a powwow and discuss the situation and of course my girl was like "Ah, all they're gonna do is blast me and say everything that I did wrong and I won't get a word in edgewise so I went with her, and she was ready for that verbal thrashing, and that's what she got. Uh, the girl that she offended thrashed at her, and then the house mom of that other girl also got into it and started thrashing my girl, and I was like, well, I know the girl in our care was no angel, uh, and she could be very difficult at times. However, I knew this was f- very unfairly sighted and one-sided, and emotions were high. And to the appreciation of the girl in my care uh, and to the surprise of the other side, I stood up for her and brought down the complainers a notch or two by stating that there was room for, prob- uh, for uh, equal blame on both sides. Usually when somebody's all one-sided, you, you know it's kind of skewed. And their behavior was inappropriately skewed. As the other side backed off, I gained respect in the girls that was in our care. And, uh, and I know she appreciated it because she didn't think anybody ever would stand up for her. The lesson is called The Church Like Christ, Our Dependence on God. Peril, power, and prayer. And the first point is peril. Vultures may come together when there is a meal to devour. Once a victim is injured or dying, they wait for bigger animals to finish off what they're going to have, like wolves and bears. Then in a mass, the vultures swoop down and take care of the leftovers, and they have their fill. I believe this is in part what's going on in Acts chapter 12. As Cooper read this morning, we know the Jewish leadership are persecutors of the Lord's church, Acts chapter 8 verse 1. But now a new carnivore has come into the picture, officially on the scene, and his name is Herod. About that time... Herod, the king, laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. Acts chapter 12, 1 through 3. Herod, that is this Herod, was not Herod the Great that tried and attempted to kill Jesus when he was, after he was born. Matthew 2.16, it was not Herod Antipas, a son of Herod the Great, who actually was the one who killed John the Baptist, Matthew chapter 14. This was Herod Agrippa I, the grandson of Herod the Great. As we talked about in class this morning briefly, anytime you hear the word Herod, it's usually good to go in the other direction. This Herod Agrippa I is the one who killed James and put Peter in prison. What could have set off this Herod? The text doesn't really say. We don't know for sure. Could there have been a mention that Jesus was the true king? Offending Herod? Well, if you know anything about Herod, you know anything could set that guy off. For whatever reason... Herod became extremely mad and vindictive. Not only was James killed, Peter was thrown into prison, likely looking forward to the same fate. It sure seemed like a one-sided situation against these apostles. And when Herod had seized him, that is Peter, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads, of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people, to those people who are angry at the apostles. Acts chapter twelve, verse fourteen. The power of Satan is real, but is it is not unlimited. And we should and his power should not be overrated. The book of Revelation paints a very colorful picture about Satan his followers, and his desire to destroy the influence of Christ and his church. When I teach the book of Revelation, I find it helpful to guide people to think of it, to look at the big picture first. Look at the like a suspenseful movie. The bad guys or the villains, they gain the upper hand, they gain the foothold, and it seems to be doom, and then suddenly... As in the old cowboy movies with the black hat, the white hat cowboy comes in and boom. In our case, it's Christ. And Christ triumphants. Actually, it is a letter of victory. That's the intent of the letter, for us to understand that there's victory in Christ. But nonetheless, there are those who are willing to follow the Satan's power, and Herod was one of them. So in the church, like Christ, our dependence on God, we look at the second point, power. Periodically, some people come knocking on my door at the office seeking assistance. Some are there to take advantage of the kindness of others, and some others are there because they are at an extremely low point in their life. Sometimes they no longer worry about their pride And they asked for assistance, choking on the very words of, can you help me? So we do what we can do as the body of Christ. Have you ever been so desperate in your life? Some have heard that they were the reason for Jesus' death. They were desperate, as in Acts chapter 2 Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Can you imagine their voice cracking? Acts chapter 2, verse 37. If you are a Christian, where do you turn when times get tough? Well, some people like to turn to a wooden idol and pray. What will that bring them? Nothing. Some people put all their trust in doctors, in medicine. Can that bring eternal life? No. We turn to God because he is the one with power to help the church like Christ. Do you think the Apostle Peter ever felt desperate? He's in prison. Herod's after him, the big old bear carnivore. The Jewish leadership's after him. The wolves. The vultures are after him. His friend and brother in Christ, the fellow of Apostle James, was just recently killed by the sword, Acts chapter 12, verse 2. And now he found himself in prison? Did God have the power to save James? Could James have been risen from the dead? But just because God has the power, it does not mean he is without a plan. We need to recognize our dependence on God regardless of our situation. Acts chapter 12, verses 3 through 4, talks about the time of unleavened bread, which was another name for the Passover. It was a celebration that lasted eight days. It commemorated the Passover over Egypt or in Egypt. According to our passage, Peter was thrown into prison at this time. And when they had seized him, he put him into prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. Acts 12 verse 4. Would it be reasonable for Peter to think of the Passover at this time while he's in prison? And everything the Passover represented about God's power? To think about the resurrection of Jesus and the message of Christ? Did Peter have reason to think that God would supernaturally assist him? Did he supernaturally assist James? Did he supernaturally assist Jesus, when he went to the cross, he did have a reason to believe there was a heavenly reward. What greater victory can you have? But Peter, I believe, was resolved to die for the Lord. And I think of that when I see the passage about him sleeping. In between the guards, chained to them, even. Four squads, and the squads of four, they probably had four shifts. Round about 24 hours a day, somebody was there handcuffed to Peter. Could Peter sleep well at the beginning of his time in the cell? I do not know but he had no earthly reason to believe that he would not die. I have found myself so overwhelmed with grief, spending my time seeking God's help and turning my dependence over to him. Have you ever cried and prayed so much that by the end, peace overwhelms you and you just fall asleep? You finally decided it's in God's hands. It's in God's hands. Maybe that's what happened to Peter. Maybe that's what happened to Peter. He knew without a doubt it's in God's hands and he could sleep peacefully. The third point in the church like Christ, our dependence on God is prayer. Is prayer intended to be that magic wand that you wave and Zap, and, and you get your... No, I see a lot of shaking of heads here. I dare say, I believe some people think it is a magic wand. If you say the right words, if I have the right posture, if I sweat in anguish enough, surely God's going to listen and, and, and do what I ask Him to do because of my sincerity. In what I want to have to happen. I remember the frustration of certain people that I met who were so bewildered that the requests were not answered the way they expected it to be answered. They were totally convinced that if I prayed the right way, they would be blessed. This was their concept of the power of Prayer. If this was true, wouldn't the apostles have this procedure down? Wouldn't they know how to manipulate God to get their way? Do you think they prayed about protection a little bit before meeting with people like Herod? Peter was dependent on God. And prayer shows our dependence on God. It's not a way or a method to control God, it's a way to deliver our looking at Him and saying, God, I'm dependent on you for everything. So Peter was dependent on God, and we learned this early on in Christ's ministry, especially as we saw him grow and grow and grow and grow. Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Matthew 16, verse 16, and in John he says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. John 6, 68 through 69. There is no doubt that Peter knows who is in charge. And it is not Peter. He was as dependent on God, just like you and I are dependent on God. The church was dependent on God. What do we need? Food, shelter, love. We need God in our life. One thing prayer does, it shows Him and others our need for Him. I think that's the neat thing about public prayer. And when people can say amen to the prayer. You are showing each other. You are showing God that you are fully dependent on Him. And you're willing to share that knowledge with other people so that they too can share in those blessings. We pray for needs of people who are sick or in dire straits. but is prayer a magic tool? No. They prayed for Peter, the church did in the first century right there. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Were they fully dependent on God? Do you think they prayed that that Peter might get out? I don't know. That Peter would hold firm to the faith even to the end? I'm sure that was there. Did they know for certain that it was going to result in the supernatural release of Peter by an angel of the Lord? No, but they prayed to the one with whom they had dependence on, who could handle the situation. Acts chapter 12, verses 7 and 12. If they did, perhaps they would not have responded to Rhoda's declaration if they did believe that their prayer was automatically going to get Peter released, that Peter was out of prison and at their house, they said to her, You are out of your mind! (laughs) I don't think it was the supernatural they were praying for. Acts 12, verse 15a. Evidently, prayers did not guarantee the supernatural. So prayers are important. It shows our dependence on God as the church like Christ. Not only as the church, but also individually. The lesson is called the church like Christ. Our dependence on God. Peril, power, and prayer. Peril was not just an issue for the church like Christ in the first century, it is for Christians of all time. There's all sorts of different challenges that people go through as a congregation and as individuals. But with God's help, it can all be overcome. True power is in the hands of God, whether he shows it in our physical lives or in our eternal destination. It's in the hands of God. True power is in His hands. So, because it's in His hands, continue with prayer. Recognize your true dependence on God. Let your requests be made known to Him and watch His plan for you and His church.